Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, starring Mark Patton, Kim Myers, Robert Russler, Clue Gulger, and Robert England. Written by David Chaskin and directed by Jack Shoulder. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to continue on with our terrible twos of the slasher film franchises. And up next is Friday, Friday the 13th. No, Nightmare on Elm Street, part two, Freddy's Revenge. It's it's those F words, Freddy. Um, and here we're kind of, we're ready to go. Got a lot to talk about today. This is a very interesting sequel for the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and uh, kind of where it started and then what where it goes after this. But we, we're going to get into all of that. But first, some more of the Weller Special Reserve, which you told me later this week, you think this is the best bottle we've had so far. I think I really like the old Forester we had some months ago. Oh, yeah. The this Bottled might, and Bond? Mm-hmm. Mm. This might have it beat. Excellent. Is this top three or four for you, too? It's pretty good. I told I think, I think told you I think I like this better than the antique one. The red label. The red label, yeah. So Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers, Rye Nation. Cheers, Freddie. <laughs> Cheers, Freddie. Clue, Clue, Clue Gulliger. I, I got some stuff to say about him, I actually. Bet you do. Yeah. Freddie likes his whiskey. <laughs> got it down. I'm going to do it better later. I'm just, I'm laughing right now. <laughs> well, let's get right to it. And, um, oh, wait, but first, first, first and foremost, a couple just uh, viewer responses from Instagram. You know, we did the slasher film uh, masks. We had some pretty um, pretty good um, correspondence there. So Stever Haynow said the chubby baby face from Happy Death Day, which I considered that one because that's a pretty cool one. Yeah, kind of a ripoff of the the baby cake mascot for uh, of that's just New Orleans lore at that point. Marrow Moore movie review said Ghostface from Scream. What do you think of that mask? Do you, do, does that one work for you? Um, it's almost kind of silly. Yeah, and I think it plays to the kind of the little bit of the comedic nature. I of was that, just gonna say that, but that one doesn't work for me. Okay, and then uh, OHF CK Collectibles. It, it, people have very interesting names. Uh, said the porcelain girl from the house's October built. Now, have you seen this film? No, I have. I watched it about three months ago. Uh, it's a found footage movie about this group of people looking for the scariest, like haunted maze walkthrough during the month of October. And in this scene with the porcelain girl, it's this girl that gets on their their uh, their bus and just sits there. And it's Ooh. like this like porcelain doll face. And then she just starts like screaming and then walks off. And it's incredibly unsettling. Hmm. I don't know what it has to do with the plot, but it's it's certainly an effective looking mask and, and moment. It's the best scene in that movie by far. Is that a recommendation for that film or no? No. <laughs> he says no. So it was kind of, and then there's, I saw the second one too, and that one was kind of shitty too. So, um, <laughs> Hard but, pass on the houses that October built. Yeah. Uh, great choices, everybody. Thank you very much. Again, hit us up on the socials or on the email at ricesmileproductions at gmail.com. Awesome. Let's dive right in. Let's head to Elm Street, Matt.
So that main theme that opens up the movie in college for an English class of all, I had to make a PSA. And I made this like kidnapping PSA. Our group had like kidnapping was the topic. I used that theme song in that video. There was the not even like the regular Elm Street theme proper. Elm Street Part 2's main theme, which was that. So That works. I like the music in this movie. Sure. So. Yeah. Why don't you hit us with the flight question? This one's pretty interesting. Okay, so we're playing in sequel territory, obviously. So this is a two-part question. Considering the three films that we're going to look at, which would be Nightmare, Halloween, and Friday the 13th, the first part of the question is which of the three began with the most positive start? Which of the three had the best look going forward or had the most potential to be great going forward? And then I want you to project that out to after the third entry. And the reason we're doing trilogy is that feels sort of appropriate for an entire pantheon of measurable film. Sure. Which one is in the worst shape? So which one starts off the best and which one finishes off the worst? And we'll rank them. Okay. So the best was this, 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 and the worst was this, this, this. Okay. So when we start off, which of the three films had the worst start of the three for you? The worst start of the three? Yep. Probably Friday the 13th. Agreed. It's a pretty cookie-cutter idea if you really break it down. And then go back and listen to last week's episode. They really started to find their stride. They found their character that they were going to build around. So probably that one. Okay, I agree. And my reason for that is everything that you just said and the villain in that film is the mom. Mm-hmm. And she's done away with at the end of the movie. I know there's the great <clears throat> scene at the end of the film. Yeah. And that hints at what might be, but we do have a dreamlike state that that occurs in. So we don't know if that's real. So yes, my third, the weakest of the three beginnings okay. is the same as yours. Okay. Friday the 13th. Now the best, who started out the best? Do you want to do number two? I guess we do the best. We'll know who number two is. So, yeah, that, yeah, that's good. Uh, who started out the best? Uh, you probably think I'm going to say Halloween, but honestly, give or take, Halloween could work as a standalone movie. Uh, when he just disappears at the end, I kind of wish that was the just the end of it. And there's just this mystery on what happened. And oh boy, do we get the answers to what happens. But I think Nightmare conceptually starts out Conceptually, not film-wise, film quality-wise. That's right. Uh, That's what we're looking at here. Wes Craven's idea of this dream demon that kills you in your sleep has just infinite possibilities of what you can do with it. So I'm actually going to go Nightmare on that one. Shockingly, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to go Halloween for sure. I thought about it, yeah. And my my rationale is exactly the same. Boy, what a not contrarian flight question this is turning out to be, huh? Yeah, we're probably going to... Shake it up here a little bit. So I'll turn the ta- the tables on you. Once we reach film three, which one is in the best shape? Friday the 13th. By the end of film three, Jason has become the brooding, hulking creature that we recognize him as. And he's now in the hockey mask. Mm-hmm. And we're really starting to explore exactly what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. We've moved away from the pagan element that we talked about in number two last week, which I actually think works, and I don't have a problem with that at all. That was one of the pieces of the film I liked. But we've moved into the eternally strong, formidable boogeyman. Mm -hmm. And we make a lot, like obviously the flight question address masks, Mm -hmm. so we've made a big deal about that. I think the mask of Jason for me 
is the most character appropriate. When I look at a hockey goalie mask, yeah. hockey players are rough and tumble, bruising, yeah. and so's Jason. So that's of the three. I think that one's in the best shape. What's yours? I would give it to that one if part three is wasn't so terrible. Like I like what they set up because he gets the mask and he's definitely more formidable in that one than in the the prior film. He's kind of figuring it out. Kind of has a bad day in in part two. He's stumbling over furniture and all that stuff. But part three is not 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 necessarily amazing. But part three, Dream Warriors, is amazing. Love it. So I'm actually going to go Nightmare Best in both fronts here. And I'll tell you, and then once you get to Nightmare 4, and they just totally shit the bed on the greatness that Dream Warriors sets up. But Dream Warriors gets what Craven was trying to do in the first one. That film 2 totally forgets forgets what, it, what it's about. Uh, so I'm going to go Dream Warriors. Just conceptually, there's just infinite things you can do in Dreamland, but they made it cool in that team element of the Dream Warriors. You got that cool Dokken song too, so that you get a, a notch above because you have Dokken. <laughs> we talked a little bit about off mic VHS, mm-hmm. the movie VHS, and the original version, not number two. But we both like the story where the friends are brought <laughs> to the killing field yeah. so that the girl can entice the serial killer back to do them in and mm-hmm. she can it's like extract her revenge. Curse or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a brilliant concept. Mm-hmm. The team element that Dream Warriors presents in three, I think has a hint and a feel of that in there. We're going to present a formidable opposition to Freddy. Here's why I didn't choose. I love that film. Mm -hmm. You know I love that film. It might be of the nine that we would consider. Halloween's number one. It's just not even close. That might be my second favorite, and it's not even close to anything else. Maybe it is. I don't know. Like right right now, that's my number two. Okay. Where you go forward from that, I feel like, is Richard Donner's Lethal Weapon buddy action film. Mm -hmm. For a horror concept, that is an action movie. Oh, oh, yeah. Now, there's some really good stuff where we start to get the backstory with the nunnery and all of that. (laughs) I like all that. But Craig Watson. Gotta love Craig (laughs) Watson. Yes, I love that film. I just think for what slasher horror needs to be for me to make it work, Jason's a little bit ahead with where it goes next, although I enjoy Nightmare 3 more than Friday 3. If you said the fourth entry, I would have picked Friday all day, every day. Yeah. That's my favorite. That's Feldman, right? Yes. Yeah. It's an introduction. They're introducing new elements. It's really good. And it's violent as hell, and it's serious. Worst shape at the end of the trilogy, part three. It's got to be Halloween, right? Sadly. But not to their own faults. I mean, got to applaud them for at least trying something different. An anthology film built around the word Halloween set on the holiday Halloween. But Celtic ruins and Stonehenge and masks that make bugs. It's not as awful as it could be. But it's it's not what, what Web 1 and 2 are so good either. So I think at the end of that one, I think there's just more of, God, what do we even do after this? Like... And there's a gap in between three and four, five years. Whereas these other two franchises, one a year. One a year competing like for box office. <laughs> Halloween 3 was the original Catfish. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Paranormal 3 before it was Paranormal 3. Mm-hmm. Let's steal this name. We'll make everybody think it's going to be about the character that we associate with that name. Winky, winky, tricks on you. It's not. It's the season of the witch. Michael's not even in the film. 
Yeah. I can't wait till we talk about it because, like, soundtrack-wise, that the film has a killer John Carpenter synth soundtrack. It's just everything else is just swing and a miss. But I don't hate it. Can I throw you one more curveball? Yes. Right now, okay. considering those three franchises, remakes, everything else. Who's in the best shape? Give me your one, two, and three. Three being the worst, two being the middle, and one being the best. In their current stat. Right now, today. One's Halloween. For sure. But they knocked it out of the park two years ago with their reimagining. Right. Part two, I'm going to go Nightmare. Part three, Friday the 13th, only because Friday the 13th is in lawsuit limbo right now with the original writer. So that's actually what's holding up them making another film. So business-wise, that's why they're last. I'd like to see another Nightmare film. Controversial. I like Jack Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger. So do I. That movie is trash. Hot trash yeah, yeah. uh but he wasn't the reason it was bad so i'd like to see another one with him yeah no argument here i, I that's the same same order yep it's interesting um after the success of this last halloween i think i told you uh, i was like i was like i would not be surprised if the other two franchises try and do the same thing like a nightmare sequel that picks up right after the first one brings heather langenkamp back into you know what i mean like Ignoring the dredges of crap to just force sequels, going to Manhattan in space. Like, you got to get away from that and get back to basics. And that's what Halloween reimagining did. And amen to them for that. I, I really like that one. Not to be disparaging, but I guess the JV deserves a mention here. And if we factor in Child's Play, Scream, and Night and um, Texas Chainsaw, we might have some competition oh, for where God. things are. Oh. <laughs> that's a conversation for another day. The Texas Chainsaw franchise and legendary pictures just posted on Instagram this week. A direct sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw coming out next year. And they've already done the direct sequel two other times and it's failed miserably. Like that franchise is in such disarray, it's almost laughable. Zombie and the Devil's Rejects, does that have some consideration in this? Yeah, I, I like I like House of a Thousand Corpses and and Devil's Rejects. It's just when he did Halloween, which is I had a big problem with. It's just so sad. That's like hollow ground for me. You and I both. The man's... We will have to... I don't know if we do House of a Thousand Corpses as an episode, but that has an interesting why that film was made. I mean, he... They commissioned Rob Zombie to do a Universal Halloween Horror Nights maze House of a Thousand Corpses. And then he turned that into a film. No kidding. And then... It was too extreme for Universal and over budget that he had to buy it back and because they weren't they they had it on their shelves. So in order for him to get it released, he had to purchase it and then send it to a different company. And then Universal actually had a Halloween uh, Horror Nights maze last year, which was actually pretty cool. So yeah, great question. I, I like just like round robin discussion like that. That would have been a great flight question or a shot episode, but sure would have. This was perfect perfect for a flight burned it not now <laughs> good list excellent well okay so matt and i we uh, got fired at uh, camp crystal lake um at a pakanak lodge they didn't see they didn't think we had what it took to be the camp counselors and i don't i don't blame them i mean half the camp got annihilated by some psycho killer in the woods mm -hmm. so we're going to try a new venture this time at real estate and there's these houses there in uh, springwood illinois on Elm Street. They're having a hard time selling them. So Matt and I are going to take a crack at that. Let's see how we do. We have to call Brett. Brett's a realtor. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Brett, we need some pointers. That's right. But until then, let's get right into it in our review breakdown of A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2, Freddy's Revenge.
So A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, starts out on the titular Elm Street as we kind of follow the school bus being driven by Robert England. I don't know if you caught that, man. I did. And uh, kind of dropping off all the kids until there's only three left, including main protagonist Jesse Walsh. And I, I, I kind of like this opening sequence as they're like, driver, you missed my stop. And then th- the bus just goes careening into the desert. Like, wouldn't a dream do that, Matt? Like, you're having a nightmare, and it already seems weird enough that, like, hey, I need to be let off here. Something's irregular. And then it just gets even weirder by, we've gone from city to desert. And then it turns into a hellish landscape as the ground opens up, and then this bus is just teetering on these boulders. I kind of dig this opening. What do, you, what, do you think, what do you think of how this film starts out? Uh, I don't know if I dig it. It's interesting, and I think it works with what dreams are. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they make no sense. Mm -hmm. The location and movement in dreams is as obscure as can possibly be, and I know there's a lot of dream theorists out there that would say, well, that you have an issue with your mom, and, you know, all that's bullshit. (laughs) They're random neural firings, and none of that means anything. I don't care what anyone says. It's all that MSG you eat when you have Chinese food. Right, exactly. (laughs) Dream about a swan or a spoon, it means you're bullshit. It just means none of that's true. But in this film, I dream about jazz band a lot, Matt, and being berated about not practicing. No, no. Here's the dream. Here's the dream I have. Oh, boy. Every three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm in college, uh-huh. and it's like the last week. It's finals week, and there's one class, and I just haven't been to it all semester. Oh, yeah. And I have to take the final exam, and yeah. I'm like, what do I do? And so I wake up, and I'm like literally relieved. It's a feeling of just utter jubilation that thank god that was a dream because it's like a total panic attack i love what you just said because it's so perfect (laughs) i have had a similar dream i don't have it every three weeks that's i'm glad that never happened to you that's awful yeah but there are times that we all can relate to when we move from conscious like move to a conscious state from asleep and you're relieved you can feel the release of tension Mm -hmm. that's not a good way to rest Thank God that it happens infrequently. I I pray for all of you. But in the movie, they're doing a really good job of showing that. The fantastical. And the cold sweats that go along with it because the movie, this is going to sound weird, but I mean it. The movie's very wet. Mm -hmm. And it's very wet because it's very hot. Mm -hmm. As much as fire and water shouldn't play together, this movie is all about those two things. Mm -hmm. They may not be good. Because that just, that just sounds like, you know, collision. Yeah. But back to your original question. Yeah. It's interesting enough, and we're starting to see the expanse of how far Freddy can go. And here's the thing that we get that's a little different already. Yeah. Freddy's a bit more vocal, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Like right away, like Freddy's got a little bit more than just the butcher with the blades. And I guess I had forgotten about this, but not quite the jokey quipster yet. Not quite. He's not primetime bitch yet. No. Like he's he was kind of he was kind of freaky in this movie, and mm-hmm. he was even a little kind of extra melty in this one. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't like cracking like one liners. Like he was kind of still in super serious Freddy from the prior film, which I appreciate that. I picked up on that too. I thought this was where we saw the jester, mm-hmm. the killer jester. Nope. Yeah. We don't get that till three. And like, welcome to primetime bitch. Like mm-hmm. you said. So yeah, this is more similar to the first Freddy. I guess I just really like that shot of when they kind of pull back and it's an obvious model, but it's just the bus teetering on that, like on that boulder and the lightning. And it's just like, wow, how did we get here? But like, that's what dreams do, right? They go there. 
So Jesse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you wake up from these cold sweats, do you often look like Jesse in that film? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I actually suffer, man, this is just like confession hour on Rye Smile Films. I actually suffer from sleep paralysis from time to time. Oh, man. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. You're going to walk me through that? So what it is, is the brain is stuck between falling asleep and like the first cycle of sleep. So you actually kind of, you're able to wake up and kind of look around your room, but you can't move at all. Aye, aye, aye. It's like you're paralyzed. And the, the only thing you can try and do is like force yourself like awake from it. And it honestly feels like, it feels like you're dying is, and it's, it's so bizarre. And I kind of noticed it if like my neck's like bent kind of weird. Like if I fall asleep on the couch, it might, might happen there. And one time I put my finger in my mouth. I thought I almost bit my finger off. Like, like it was, it was very strange. And some people, wait, what? Yeah. I put, I was sleeping on the, on the couch one time and I like subconsciously put my finger in my mouth. I started to bite down, oh, shit. but I didn't know it wasn't hurting. And I just kept biting. And I was like, I was like, yikes. Like, and so, and then I woke up, like my you, God. you kind of like pull yourself out of it. It's not fun. And it happens to a lot. Of, and I thought I was weird. I thought it was a weirdo. And I was just like, I'm just not going to tell. Not my, because of that. I'm not going to yeah, tell. You, are <laughs> you thought you were a weirdo. That didn't make you a weirdo. I was like, I'm not going to tell my parents about this. This is, this is like a strange thing that happens. And then I, when I wrote that screenplay in college on night terrors, I found out about sleep paralysis. I was like, that's what I have. And, um, some people that suffer from that, they see shit in their rooms. Like they see, shadow figures in the rooms which thank god i don't have that because i don't know if it'd be able to deal but so my question with what you've just said i don't yeah. have either i mean i have nightmares yeah not the recurring one that you do the frequency that you do and mm -hmm. i certainly have never chomped off my own finger in the middle of sleep like that's terrible yeah do you think that that plays better in this franchise for you does that create more <clears throat> of a buy-in on a ground level as opposed to someone like me i think so so i'm curious because you don't have anything in common with michael mm-hmm Oh, I don't. <laughs> right? Good. <laughs> so, yeah, really, for everybody. Yeah. I'm curious then mm -hmm. where the breaking point and nightmare is for you. Because I kind of feel like of the three, it's your least favorite. I think three being Friday, Halloween, and honest, Honestly, Dream Warriors is amazing. And it, I, it would probably be my favorite entry. It is when he starts getting too quippy. When they take it seriously, like they do in parts one and, and two right now, like, like I'm into it. Like I was like, they're treating like a serious nighttime boogeyman and there's a real tear there. There's a real buy-in from me and then it gets fun and I'm willing to have fun, but then they have too much fun. Mm -hmm. And he's, I think it's part five and he's feeding like one of the girls cake and he's a like, bon appetit bitch. And she like explodes. You also have that great cockroach kill in part four. We'll, we'll get, we'll get there. Like there's, there's a lot to talk about, but to answer your question, it is probably my least three, uh, my, my least favorite of the three big franchises. Um, and that's why. Because there's a bit of uncanny that we're talking about a little bit here, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you don't want to live in a state where that's what you're worrying about every night before you go to bed oh, is no, yeah. paralysis or a terrible nightmare. Mm -hmm. So if we believe that the horror philosophy hinges on the acknowledgement of the uncanny, then man, you're living it. I just think that's a really interesting oh, yeah. psychoanalytical babble bullshit uh, inside your head right now that I don't know anything about, but I'm pretending I do. Thank you, Dr. Matt. Exactly. <laughs> MD, MD, Matt Dixon, medical doctor. No, that's great. It's, 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 a, it's a good conversation because people are like, yeah, I don't, I'm not scared of dreams because I just wake up. But when you have something like a sleep paralysis episode, 
That's yeah. the thing. You can't wake up. Like you can't pull yourself out of it. That's weird, man. That is weird. It is. Great start. Okay, so when the bus okay, so, in hell. Okay, so no, no, we're in Jesse's room now. Oh, yeah, he's right. all he's all wakes up all, all sweaty. Mm-hmm. The family, uh Hope Lang, uh Clue Gulliger, and the daughter who's Kim Myers. Most race. No, that she's she's Lisa. Oh, I don't know right. who the little girl is. She's so unimportant to this film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just eating the most racist cereal of Fu Manchus and I want the Fu Manchu fingers. <laughs> yeah. That's not real, is it? No. That's a movie thing, right? Yes. Okay, good. Clue Gulliger. Okay, you're gonna love this. So horror aficionados are gonna know him from Return of the Living Dead. He works at the the crematorium where they unleash the dead spores. You remember the show Project Greenlight, right? Yeah. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. So the original iteration of the show, do you remember the movie they did, Feast? Yeah. The horror film? Mm -hmm. That film was directed, the person chosen to do that was John Gulliger. That's his son. How about that? Yeah. And Clue Gulliger is actually in Feast. Wow. So Give it some credibility. I guess. Hey, get that guy from Nightmare Part 2 in this film. You know, the real amorous guy that decides it's time to leave the kids at the party and go upstairs and sleep with his wife? Yeah, wrong dad, wrong dad. Oh, that's it. Oh, no, you're right. This is Jesse's dad. This dad's great, though, because he's just on his son's ass, like, the whole film. Go and clean your room. It's you. You you gave it some firecrackers, didn't you? And like he's just like, I don't know uh, what drugs you are on, but who, what are you on and who are you getting it from? Like He's just grilling his son 24-7 in this thing. We'll get to that later, because okay. I'm sure, but that is... The most hilarious part of this film, when he blames his son for firecrackering the bird. I have a, I have a clip. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So let's talk about our two leads here in the film. So we have Mark Patton as Jesse, the lead, and then Kim Myers as Lisa. Yeah. Kim Myers, a spitting image for a young Meryl Streep. No and I think that's yeah. why she was kind of picked up in this film. Yeah. So herein kind of lies, I think, the issue with Nightmare Part 2 Whereas it's all very similar to the first film. And I understand why Wes Craven didn't want to do a second one when the script that was kind of given to him was like, well, this is just kind of the same one. And the guy's just male now. We're literally back in Nancy's house. We're going through the Elm Street kids. They're finding out about it late. And it's just kind of this rigmarole through figuring all that out. And the problem with it is, is it's overly not interesting. They find Nancy's diary okay, great kind of lead in there. We'll, we'll get to that. I just, it's just, the plot is just so bare bones at this point. It's overly not interesting mm-hmm. for me because what they do in the first one that really works, they don't do in this one. And that's develop Jesse's posse so that when Freddie goes after them, I actually care. Compare any death in this film to Johnny Depp's in the first one. Oh no. It's not even close. And I'm talking from from the beginning. <laughs> we'll get to the gym coach too, the PE teacher. I'm sure. I can't wait to talk about that. But to the, <laughs> it, they're just not good. Yeah, and everyone's just so not memorable from this film. Well, uh, this as great as Heather Langenkamp is, and with what had already been laid out before Nightmare Two was done, mm-hmm. and I like I know she's going to make a return. Yeah, she is so clearly obviously missing from this film. Jesse can't hold her jock. He is nondescript. And I paid attention to this. This is not a joke. Mm-hmm. I think he has three outfits that he wears in this movie. He wears that yellow shirt, mm-hmm. 
that blue shirt that's got like the birds on it and underwear. Yeah. He's so nondescript in this film mm-hmm. that they don't even bother to costume him in different attire. He's just he's slightly more entertaining than Stormtrooper Fodder, and this is my big issue. The last third of the film, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's his movie anymore. It's Lisa's movie. Darn right. Yeah. That's not that's not the way this is supposed to go. Can I read can I read this little so screenwriter Lisa Bohm, I don't know who she is, uh pitched an idea of using pregnancy and possession as a plot device in the second film. So I just want to read what she said about him. So the concept was an homage to Rosemary's Baby. I came up with a plot that had a new a new family move into Strike the house. One, a teenage boy, his pregnant mother, and stepfather. The boy didn't get along with. It was a real bloody, scary idea, much more physical and realistic because the dream reality stuff was less central to these movies than. Um, my story was more of a possession scenario with Freddy getting into the mother's room, okay, uh, controlling the fetus. But New Line passed on it, and uh, they went with David Chaskin's concept instead. That's going to come back in part five, The Dream Child. Right. It's the Freddy baby. Yeah. Uh, so this film is, it's its a possession movie. It's about, and then here's part of the other problem, because part two, uh, part one ends in kind of not a great way, where she turns her back on Freddy, and he just eviscerates into thin air. So I don't know physically what freddie represents in reality and in this so it has to be matt or can we agree on this at least it has to be the glove then right that's still hanging out in the basement of the house right that has to be the conduit that allows him access or gives him in my opinion grants him access okay 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 we're good there um so Jesse puts it on, then gets possessed with Freddy, but then Freddy shows up and is like, oh, no, you got work for me to do, and then I'm just going to possess you anyway. And then at the end, wouldn't you therefore have to, like, in Terminator, destroy the glove and yes. the molten thing, and then Freddy's gone? They're making, like, four different movies right here and four different concepts, and I don't think any of them really jive. Um, let's play this real quick. humor there pretty yeah yeah, a little bit a little bit i think the humor is killed when he pulls his head skin off and he shows his brain like this is a creepy freddy move you've got the body and i've got the brain mm-hmm. yes freddy tell me what we need to do okay so i think it's interesting that this is coming up because we just talked about this and mm-hmm. that's if you're going to bring something back from the afterlife what are the rules to come back to mm-hmm and this would be one of them, and there has to be some manifestation or possession of that character while they were here. The glove. Now, I don't know if the glove is what he used some years ago to terrorize the children before the parents of Elm Street burned him. That's but what I always thought. That's I always what thought I, the glove was his killing implement of... It, it's, of course it is. It has to be, right? Like That's, that's what he uses often. Okay, so I'm not opposed to that. Here's where you start to get into issues for me. Can I say something real quick? Yeah, sure. But don't forget what you're going to say. I won't. 
didn't film one kind of screw up by not establishing any roles either? Like yeah. we kind of don't know why we know why Freddie's terrorizing these kids in their dreams. And you know, the mom has this, but we don't know like what's keeping him again, the glove though. What's her name? Hard drinking mom. I can't believe I can't remember her name from Nashville. Ronnie Blakely. Yeah. Shows her the glove. We have the same moment in the same glove furnace scene. And that doesn't go anywhere because the glove stays there, obviously. So we don't, I don't know the rules of what makes Freddie go away and then what's keeping him around. We don't get that until part three, honest to God. And then I would argue in part three, I'm not sure the glove matters in that movie anymore anyway. No. So we're setting up what's a weakness to Freddie. I think that's important. You have to give your protagonist at least the chance that maybe they can get the better of the bad guy. Mm Mm-hmm. The glove is the kryptonite, it would seem to be. That's the manifestation that exists for Freddy here and allows him a doorway to return. It's weird. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking about, as I was watching this film yesterday, Mm -hmm. Voldemort (laughs) and Harry Potter. The Horcruxes. Exactly. So there's a lot of things about that movie, but that part of that movie works for me. That whole, that part of that whole story works for God me. Damn it. That would be great. Can you imagine a Freddy film where you got to like destroy the Freddy Horcruxes? Yes. You got to get the glove, his sweater, his hat, his whatever. Those like, three things would be enough. Let's, let's write that movie. New line cinema, Warner brothers, rice smile films patents that yeah. idea. So with regardless of what that gal said, who was upset that they didn't make Freddy meets Rosemary's baby, which that whatever, that's a bad start. I don't like that movie anyway. So mm-hmm. tough. Good, good pass. I think they're on the right path to something here. I think we've at least identified there's a possibility that this has some potential. Mm -hmm. This is what I personally struggle with. Yeah. There are two huge roles, huge rules in screenwriting. Mm -hmm. You cannot clone Jesus. You cannot say it was all a dream. Yeah. Now, for every time that there's a rule, you break it, and that's where things make millions and millions of dollars. Mm Mm-hmm. Clearly, this movie is a dream. I've never seen the Cloning Jesus movie. <laughs> That's been pitched on high 50,000 times. Is that The Matrix? Is The Matrix You just identified the closest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So when you start playing in a dream state with Supernatural, you lose geography and time and weight and consequence and relevance and all of the constructs that ground a viewing experience that I have to have to stay interested. As much as I loved Into the Spider-Verse, I hated the last 10 minutes of it. That ridiculous fight with Kingpin that is just me. And it's it's beautiful, beautiful. But, and I brought it up a couple weeks ago, with Suspiria, the opening scene there. You get pulled through the glass and you're in a balcony and then it turns into a cage. Mm-hmm. Dreams, you, you've said it earlier, that happens with dreams. We all know it. We've all been through it. Yeah. But if you're playing that fast and loose with the constructs that need to pace and style a film, for me, I'm out. Yeah. And there's a moment, a little bit more than halfway through, that, that I know we're going to talk about, that is everything that's wrong with not defining a set of rules that Freddie has to play by when you clearly are on the path to do so with the glove. Just go take it forward. You've already created it. Use it, damn it. The glove is there for a reason, and you're onto something we just said. We like Horcruxes. The glove is that. This, like, I love what you did. That's the movie. Yeah. It just gets so sidetracked. 
and we end up, you know, we'll get to swimming pools and who's who and oh, whatever, man. Yeah. So Springwood, Springwood High here, and we're introduced kind of the rest of our gang and and our and our coach. But man, did this school look familiar to you all? I'm gonna play a little clip here and see if you get it. Bananarama. Yeah. Karate Kid? Mm-hmm. Same school. No shit. Same locations, yeah. Wow, how about that? All right. Great. That ends there. <laughs> we got this. One of those schools were really good in a movie. This one, not so much. Okay, so we got So the- Ralph Macchio's coming anytime to crane kick Freddy. I'd like to see that. Oh, that'd be, that'd be a hell of a <laughs> spinoff. Yeah. Okay, so we got our coach here who's a real hard ass. So this is Marshall Bell. The only thing I can equate Marshall Bell with, it's not even this film in his interesting death scene that he has coming up. It's as the conduit for Quado in Total Recall. Right. <laughs> right. That's exactly. That's the only thing I could think of that guy. And so, so we have these, you know, the authority figures and, you know, this film does a better job with the authority figures than Friday does. Sure. Honestly. And, and, and Halloween for that matter. We got the appearance and then we got these teachers and kind of everyone kind of having their, their hearsay here. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's even formidable enough as, as an opponent, because as you just said, you know, the, the logics of dream space, this film doesn't spend a, a real, a real amount of time in dreamland. You know what I mean? And that's the problem. We talked about this a few, few weeks ago. I can't even remember what we were talking about. The idea to pull Freddy out of his arena, his environment, and bring him into the real world. And honestly, it doesn't fully appear until he's in Grady's room emerging from Jesse's husk. Mm -hmm. That's the first, like, real other than, like, the dream scene sequence I just played. Mm -hmm. It's Jesse. It's... A stuntman that I, I I want I want to talk about, but he's he's it, we're in reality. It's not even a dream. The shit happening in that crazy, um, Jim's shower sequence is all happening in real time. I would assume dream okay. logic. Let's let's go to let's do this. Now. Okay, but all then right. we got to go back to the bird. <laughs> oh, well, let's do the bird first. Let's go sequentially. Okay, so the bird. Okay, so they're living in the house. Which okay, like the film's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Is this poltergeist? Because mm-hmm. the house is haunted mm-hmm. by the glove and a lovebird. By the lovebird, and so this canary goes ape shit in the in the cage, flies around like crazy, clips Clue Gulliger on the on the cheek, and then just spontaneously combusts in midair. And then we get this. <laughs> we get this. What are you doing, Jesse? Help me move this thing. It isn't the gas. Don't tell me it's not the gas. Your mother thought she smelled gas. Well, Ken, I thought I did. I wasn't sure. All right, sure. So what is it? Any bird rabies? It's that cheap seed you've been buying. Oh, please. <laughs> Gotta be, for sure. It's Gotta be a rational explanation. I mean, animals just don't explode into flames for no reason. Do That's they? right. All right. Well, it's sure not a leaky gas pipe. Oh. You all right? Oh, I'm sorry. You set this whole thing up, didn't you? What are you talking about? You know damn well what I'm talking about. What'd you use? Firecrackers? You know what he did? He used a goddamn cherry bomb. Oh, stop. That's what he did? Look, you can't talk to me like that. Jesse, come back here. Jesse? Can come back here, Jesse! Can't stop it. You're being ridiculous. That's Jesse! <laughs> 
you sure it wasn't an M80? Honey, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, do not feed the bird gunpowder. We feed the bird bird seed. The Jeez. best line in the whole film. So for sure. It's that goddamn cheap seed you're buying. <laughs> All right, look. Okay, so so our level of terror is now a, a flightless, a spontaneously combusting bird? Like, this is a very cheap gag that... Is cheap. Is it... Scaring anybody? Does this scene scare anybody? Right, that's what I thought too. Man, it's a little lovebird or canary. That is not a tough foe to take down. Mm -hmm. If you want to play with the idea that Freddy needs Jesse because he's not fully manifested and powerful enough to do it himself, then I'm with you. Yeah, it's cool. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Again, we're talking about Voldemort. Yep. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. And I can understand using Najini as a canary to do your evil bidding. You're making this this movie way better. (laughs) The problem is the amount of damage that that canary can inflict or lovebird can inflict is about the scratch that Clue Gulliger gets on his cheek. It's it's just silly at the end of the day. And who, right. And Mm -hmm. who's going to scream and hover and freak out about that? Because you know what else is working at the same time that is, I think, very positive? Yeah. It goes back to that opening scene where the bus is teetering on the precipice of hell. Mm-hmm. The heat in the house, mm. which applies to like Freddie being burned, which is why he looks that he does. So we're on to something here. And it's as he comes back from some fiery place, clearly, biblically, the allegory would be hell. Mm-hmm. Then Freddie is maybe a demon coming to extract revenge for those people that did him dirty. And now we're on to something. And if he keeps that that place hot, then you have another vehicle that allows him to return through some rules that you create. The temperature above this or this is empowers Freddie with the anger that he felt like, right? So we've got the glove, but no, instead we get his, <laughs> his possession of a bird that most people wouldn't look twice at if it came to attack your little cheek. And look, I, I totally get it. With a character like Freddy Krueger, there is a total suspension of disbelief. Yeah. A dream demon that kills you in your sleep, yeah. okay. But that doesn't mean you 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 can still have some rules and some logic. You have to. But I wonder why that didn't bother me so much in the first movie, and it's it's so just so evident here. Now, I do have a question, a follow-up question for you with that is... Do you think a lot of these issues and the rushes are because this is made one year and this is literally Bob Shea, New Line Cinema, Look Nightmare, the house that Freddie built is a huge hit. We got to make a sequel. Wes, do you want to crack at it? No, hard pass. I'm going to go make Deadly Friend. (laughs) Robot Christy Swanson. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if he made a better decision. Uh, Oh, my God. And then we got to, like, hand fist this screenplay. Do you think, like, we're, like, under the gun to meet a release date? Because that's kind of what it feels like to me. Yeah, there's clearly some production issues that they could have hammered out with a little bit more time. Namely, linear story that follows a consistent thread of thought. But money talks, right? And it undoes a lot of good things in the entertainment world. Mm-hmm. That's a blanket statement. We can put that in and apply it to whatever you want. It certainly seems like a sequel made for money. You got to cash in, right? Well, it's hot. While the iron's hot. How many times does that happen in Hollywood, Matt? Like it all the time. Right. And I think you brought up something that said, why didn't it bother you in the first one, but it does in the second one? I think I might have a possible answer for you. Ooh. I think the violence Was and the deaths in the first one are so shocking. The Johnny Depp bed, like waterbed thing, 
there was more to take away with than the first one. Outdoes, and then his his carcass, like down the hallway of the school, yeah. bloody trail, all that whole bit. Yeah, is better than anything this movie offers, even in the climax. Is that the Wes Craven factor? Is that the tone he brings to some of his movies, which and speed? Yeah. So, look, I think that, and we've identified it. I think there's a nugget of a story in here yeah. that could be developed and turned into something, and it's not. It's not the birth of Freddy as the Antichrist Rosemary's Baby style, but I do like that idea of possession mm-hmm. because the seduction of Jesse could be done really, really coolly in this film. If Freddy plays as fast and loose with reality as he does, then go ahead and seduce him. Jesse wouldn't know. Yeah. The whole time that, what's her name, Lisa? Is that his girlfriend? Mm-hmm is trying to roll on him. I'm not saying I want to love trying on this, but there's a lot of outs that they could get to give you conflict and allow Lisa and her little girlfriend and the guy that Jesse keeps having to semi-do push-ups with in the playground of the school because Brady. they're fighting Grady. <laughs> like you start to develop a network or a relationship between them, then when they bite the dust, I care. Yeah. And you don't have to have that ridiculous pool scene that we're going to get to. And I don't have to have a stupid bird. You're right. You're totally right. It just doesn't, it doesn't deliver. The execution's poor. So let's get to Marshall Bell. Okay. So Jesse has another one of his night terrors is sweaty. And then he just kind of sleepwalks out of the house. Not even sleepwalking. He's totally coherent. Rolls up to this leather gay bar of all places. The bar deco by the village people. Yeah, and the bartender's Bob Shea, the producer, the head of New Line Cinema. Oh, no shit, really? He loved this series to death. He shows up again in one of the other ones as a teacher. I didn't know that. And his sister's Lynn Shea from Insidious. Like, Mm -hmm. she's had her her whole film career, too. And so then he's caught by Marshall Bell, the teacher, who's there on his kind of nightly prowl, (laughs) and takes him back to the school to run laps, and then says, okay, hit the showers still in his leather getup. And then in the most silly death in any of the nightmare on Elm street sequels gets attacked by basketballs and tennis balls. Oh, a great attack. First of all, and then gets hung up by these jump ropes onto the shower nozzles. Yeah. The shower nozzles and the faucets. And then, then Freddie emerges and then does them in, but it's really Jesse. I don't, I, I don't even, yeah. so we, we just got to get right into it here with the, the very homosexual nature that this film tries to portray the subtext, so to speak, as a, as a screenwriter would say. Well, okay. So yeah, because it's in a dream state, as messy as this sequence can be, it would be really easy to undo it. And that's use that trope that I hate, which is, oh, I was just asleep, except mm-hmm. When all of that plays and the coach is slaughtered in the shower, the cops pick up Jesse on the side of the road naked in real time and Mm -hmm. deliver him back to mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So the dream doesn't end. So how you can get to sleepwalking out of your house to finding yourself into some S&M street corner bar where your PE coach is hanging out, who then by definition would be, I don't want to say in trouble, but would have his integrity threatened in 1984? Five. Five? Mm-hmm. Because Jesse's got dirt on him now. Yeah. 
And that somehow devolves into returning to school to make the kid run. And while he's running, basketballs, tennis balls, and ping pong balls are flying at you. That That's all so messy. Here's what maybe isn't. Jesse, Mark Patton, mm-hmm. openly gay man. Mm-hmm. If the possession of this film... At the time... I want you to finish your saying, but at the time, he he wasn't. But I, I, I know where you're going with, with this. And I don't want to be disparaging, and frankly, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Who you love is do. Just do it. Mm-hmm. You can tell in Jesse's affect in this movie, for me, he came across as a gay man. Mm-hmm. Like in real life, I, I just, my gaydar went off and I picked up, like, I think that guy's gay. Yeah. Lone, I was right. Mm-hmm. If he's struggling with that, not only are you pushing the envelope yeah. with what Freddie's doing, but then you're creating another thread, which is if Freddie is showing up in his dreams and that seduction, which is what Freddie does, yeah. he seduces him into working for him. And I think that's there in the film. There's elements of that at play. Yeah. And I kind of wish, so the screenwriter has been on record saying, yes, I, I went there. I intentionally made to have these this gay subtext with it. Subtext. If they're going to go that far, I kind of wish they, they kind of would have gone all the way with it. You know what I mean? Well, it creates so much more buy-in from the people around him. Does he have a thing for Grady? It's understanding now why Lisa can't quite get all the way there with him. Why he's so attracted to Freddie. Yeah. What this bit in the club is yeah. with the coach. Oh my gosh, I found out that the coach is now too. There's a lot more to play with there. And as the screenwriter said, it doesn't seem like they were shy about trying to give the audience the perception that that was occurring. Mm-hmm. She, she it, or he, he admitted it. So go ahead and go all the, so again, we've talked about a lot of misses. We're all around the strike zone. We just can't quite get it over the, the plate. I want, to t- I want to tell you what kills me about this. That was, that was great. What kills me about this, about this scene here is so Robert England was in a pay dispute with new line. Cause first one's a hit. He's a reason because of the hit. Yeah. T- titular boogeyman wants a little bit more pay bump for, to come back to do it again. And like, Bob Shea and New Line was like, no, we're going to play hardball. Like, we're going to go the Jason route. We're going to cast a stuntman to play the Freddy in this scene. It's the reason there's no close-up of Freddy's face in this scene. Because it's a stuntman with, like, a Freddy mask on. Okay. And I've never been able to unsee it. Like, go on Instagram. It's the it's the picture. We're going to post that. Uh, it's, it's just unforgivable for me. Like, you can totally tell something's going on here. And they didn't have like time or the budget to go back and reshoot that scene with the with the Robert England Freddy close up, and it's just so stupid. <laughs> like I I hate it. And the death isn't even that interesting. Well, none of them in this film are right, and not for the possibilities that it couldn't be. Just the time and attention it takes to execute it properly. Yeah. So, I think we've identified a lot of places that this should have gone or could have gone. Unfortunately, it hasn't chosen to make any of those decisions yeah and we're left with this mess where the lines between reality and dream state are constantly blurred and even that jesse mm-hmm. isn't entirely broken yeah because freddie does have the ability to exist mostly in one but then a little bit in the other mm-hmm. if he can possess you or get you to drag him back yeah that was the whole concept in the first film bring yeah. it back and then we'll yeah turn my back on him and he'll go hey whatever right that yeah. part misses a bit <laughs> yeah, but I you hate, know what I, mean? I hate that yeah Again, like I said, they're they're all around it. They're just not finishing. And 
when the cops bring Jesse back from the road naked and deliver him to mom and dad. It'd been a while since I'd seen this film. Yeah. I just thought to myself, oh my God, none of that was a dream. This is really happening. And the next thing I said to myself was, how much longer is left in this film? <laughs> I was done. At least 35 minutes. 48 minutes. That's because they're just not any potential alley-oop or setup that this film has is totally, totally not connecting. So then we get to the major set piece of this film, which is this pool party at Lisa's house, which Lisa has this, oh my God, like what do her parents do for all this thing? Did you ever go to a party like this, Matt, where like the parents were like doing the cooking and he's playing like the Benny Goodman rec jazz records and totally buzz killing the party or were like the parties that you ever went to where they kind of like well, let the kids kind of do their thing? Yeah, they were like that. <laughs> I felt bad for Lisa. Like shit. <laughs> so I have a question for you, though. Okay. Dad's screwing up this party and Clue Gulliger has screwed up Jesse. If the parents of the children from Nightmare on Elm Street were what did Freddie in, then isn't he using Jesse to extract revenge on the adult elements in this film because he wants to do them dirty? You don't have to tell me. Every, everything you bring up makes this movie better than it really is. But instead we get a really uncomfortably awkward, and I don't mean in a good way like film can do. I yeah. mean in a really stupid, unbelievable moment. Mm -hmm. The party is about to reach its apex. And dad won't get off the grill. So mom walks up to dad in the middle of this party and says, in front of one of the other kids, come on, honey, take me to bed. Mm -hmm. Winky, winky. And mm -hmm. dad's like, you're in charge of the grill, son. Okay, check it out, though, Jesse. Yeah. In charge of the grill mm -hmm. with a pronged grilling element over fire. Tell me how we're not still right around the plate for what Freddy is. Fire pronged elements. But nope, instead, I guess the kid flips his burgers and mom and dad go upstairs to make the beast with two backs. And <laughs> nice one. <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, what in the hell is going on? Yeah, I, scenes are happening, but the wrong scenes are happening. Again and again and again. Doesn't so, water cool you down if you're hot too? Yeah, yeah. There's like, there's so many ways to fix this. Yeah. Instead, the pool, you, you said it so perfectly, Jesse. It's just a set piece. It really is. I think like, this just is something to be around. Because I guess the amusement park was taken, I guess. So the part, there's a lot of things to hate about Hollywood, but this is one from a creative standpoint. This is a studio note. Like, we want the end scene to be at a pool. We want a pool party. Because we can put girls in swimsuits? Don't you think? It's sure. Doesn't that feel like a studio suggestion? Yes. And yes. it has to make it into the script. Otherwise, see you later. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's in the movie. And then Jesse and Lisa have their moment in the cabana where he... And again, another moment. If he's slowly morphing into Freddy, and then this Freddy tongue comes out, like, that's okay. Like, we're leading into into the kind of the right moment of, of what we're, we're kind of setting up, but it just comes... It's just out of nowhere. It's just like... Like you said, there's 40 minutes left in this movie. We got to get to the end here. Um, what do you think of this sequence here? So he, after that, and luckily she has her eyes closed because she'd probably flip out if she saw that disgusting tongue. He leaves, goes to Grady's house. Grady couldn't go to the party because he's grounded because his dad's Mr. Bueller from Ferris Bueller's. Right. <laughs> uh, what do you think of this scene with Grady and then Jesse and then the emergence of Freddy for real? 
dripping with latent homosexuality. Leaves his girlfriend in a state of undress in the cabana after Freddie's tongue has just traced itself over her sternum or whatever. To go and shack up, and as he falls asleep, tells Grady, I need you to watch me. Mm -hmm. It's all right there. And Grady wasn't cast. Grady's a good-looking guy. Grady wasn't cast as doofus dummy Franklin because he's a good-looking guy. You know who drove Grady, the actor Robert Rustler, to his audition? Who? Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) Is that true? Are you serious? Yes. Wow. And you know who auditioned for the role of Jesse? Who? Brad Pitt, Christian Slater, and John Stavos. (laughs) That is crazy. Yeah. They were young actors trying to make it in the biz at that time. Whoops. So again, if we're using the metaphor of baseball, that's strike one, two, and three. What, missing on Brad Pitt? All three of them. Christian Slater could have been great in that role. This, no, it's a very Christian Slatery role. Isn't it? You can't talk to me like that, Dad. <laughs> the B-minus Jack Nicholson in a slasher horror film. So he's shacked up with Grady. It's right there. Again, we're playing in that same space. I don't know why you just won't finish. Like, you have to almost be blind at this moment not to go, huh, Jesse's not really into Lisa. Mm-hmm. Run! Run! What is it? Nice music cues here. And you know what part I like in that scene? So Freddie bursts out of Jesse like an alien. Another sexual movie. Right. Uh, rises and then puts his hat on, looking at Grady like, I'm going to get you, you bastard. And he does like this, like, he grabs the broom of his hat and then like, like flips it up. God, I love that. Like, that's like, Freddie's going to come and just like eviscerate you right now. Like, mm-hmm. I like... That has to have been like just a Robert England tick that he did. Yeah. Guy's good at this role. Certainly. He'd put on this earth to play this character. Right. Yeah. So. Or the alien in V. <laughs> oh my God. Which is the first time I ever met Robert England. <laughs> That's what he's, he is in that, that show. But yeah, this, this scene's working. And unfortunately for what I think is the first death, death in the movie that matters. I don't care about the coach. I don't know if Grady's done in with the justice that that death should hold. Yeah, it's it's not memorable. It's not. Yeah. It's funny you said that. Like, I don't even remember the actual beats on what he really... I watched this movie less than 24 hours ago. I don't even remember exactly what he did to him. Mm-hmm. How does he kill him? I mean, he slices him, He right? grabs him by the, the throat, puts him up by the door, and then finger knives through his stomach, which go through the door. That's right. That's weak. But it's not even him. It's Jesse, right? Right. So... Now we're playing along with like the reflection that we see in the mirror and Jesse sees himself in the room as Freddy. And what's his response? Break the mirror. I'm not going to give this film as much credit as, as it doesn't deserve. Is Grady seeing Freddy and it's just really Jesse? Is that part of like Freddy's powers? Like I'm going to make you see me, but it's really like, it's not the real Freddy, right? Well, it's Jesse Freddy. But it's, then, me, it's me. <laughs> but then if that's true, sure, I'll go with you there. Yeah. 
what's the point of Freddie emerging from the husk of Jesse? Because that's from Grady's POV. True. So, again, it makes about as much sense as the S&M bondage at the bar scene to go run laps in the gym a bit earlier. And the big, the big problem with it is that's a very dream state sequence. Yeah. I'm going to cut myself in husk out of this guy's body. Yeah. But that's happening in the real world, right? Right. Huge problem. Guess, How do you come back from that? Yeah, because Freddie's powers are just... They're Your all, body's been ripped asunder. You like that word, asunder? I do. And <clears throat> again, there's a way out here, and it's what happens in all of the Nightmare film, or all of, what happened in Nightmare 1, is how you die in the dream state is 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 fine and unto itself in, in that surreal realm. And basically, all you see in the real world is the effects of what happened. If Grady nods off mm-hmm. and then is killed in the dream state in some fantastical situation like the one we've described, and then is transported as a corpse to the real world, and he's at the door hung, yeah. Yeah. dad just looks like suicide. Yeah. And if Jesse's there, now we're still playing along with, like, did he kill himself? Very Heathers here with Christian Slater, but I love my dead gay son. Yep. Nope. None of that happens. We don't get any of that. Yeah, what are the parents going to say when they open the door? They're going to see Grady there with four holes in him. What the hell happened to you? Whereas if he was hung like Rod Lane in the first one, oh, he just killed himself. We'll just brush that under the rug. Right. Solved. Right. So Jesse just escapes out of the window. So let's get to this pool party because this is... I know Bob Shea was like, this is going to be a great idea. Put it in that screenplay. Or maybe it was a screenwriter. Who knows at this point? This is such a deal breaker for me. So Jesse comes, Lisa, help me. It's happening again. <laughs> and then <laughs> it was a pretty good Jesse, huh? Yeah. Maybe because I am Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> and then Freddie shows up. Jesse's dead. And then did you notice the glove too? Mm-hmm. No glove. Mm-hmm. The knives are an extensions of, of the fingers. Mm-hmm. It's like all kind of one, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So then Lisa kind of is like, come into the light, Jesse, come to like, Jesse's dead. And then burst through the door. And then because we got to have a body count because we've killed two people so far in this movie, right. and the, the movie's almost over. Just goes ham on the rest of these kids. And then this is the second, second best line in, in, in the movie right here. Just calm down, right? Yeah, it's gonna be all right. Nobody's gonna hurt you. Just tell us what you want, all right? Yeah, I'm here to help you. Help yourself, fucker! Badass line by Freddy. I don't know what he means by that. Like, right. what does he want from the children now? <sighs> like, I don't, I don't even think at this point we should even bother trying to decode any of that because... We don't really get to that in depth until three anyway. Yeah. Right. These, I guess these are technically Elm Street kids. Maybe. It's a big town, I'd imagine. Big-ish. Again, if Freddy's goal is to get to the parents, because that's who's did him in in, in a mortal state... 
it would make sense then as you are my children, that means you all are possessable so I can get to your parents. But none of that has been developed in this film and that's not what he's doing. He is just generally taking over Jesse to kill two people. Like I, you said that right now and you're right. Two people in a slasher horror film. And one of them we didn't give a rip about, the gym coach. It's a mess. Oh my gosh. So if you want to play out, you are my children, then that as he is male would make him dad. And where are we going to go with that? There's a lot of, and none of it <laughs> is going to be developed any further than that throwaway line. Yeah. Shouldn't he say, you all are my pigs at the slaughter? Any number of one-liners are better than, you all are my children. I just don't know what he means by that. To harvest for slaves to be more Freddy conduits, like right. But the film doesn't tell us that. Instead, Dad shows up with his shotgun and scares him away. But it's Jesse, and Jesse walks away. So let's get to the the final scene of the film here. Please hurry, is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are back in the the boiler room, the RoboCop boiler room, which is what I thought of when they went in the daytime. Uh, yeah. Isn't the RoboCop one? Yep. And Lisa's looking for Jesse because she knows he's got to go to his old home where he killed all the kids. We'll tell you something pretty freaky that did work for me. And it's always just, it might be one of the most unsettling things in this entire franchise. Those dogs that come with the baby faces. What the hell? Like, yep. Again, it's nailing the nightmare imagery, but not in a nightmare. I don't even know. Right. So she goes through the thing and I know we're both going to just roll our eyes and grimace in pain at what's about to take place right now. Yeah. Jesse, I know you're in there. Stop him. No, no, no. Jesse's dead. Jesse! Lisa! I love you, Jesse! And then he starts oozing blood. Okay, man. J just from a creative standpoint, writing, and all the films we've watched in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. God, this is just such a lame way to just end the happening. Mm -hmm. Did true love make the wind spores go away? Yeah. Did true love bring Jesse out of Freddy's husk? Kind of, right? Mm -hmm. Love is not the answer to this. And don't think of Matt and I as just like heartless people. No. <laughs> it's a powerful, powerful emotion. emotion. Yes, it totally is. If it's set up and it's not. It's such a cop out. Just Lisa, Jesse, I love you despite these terrible things. I love you. And love does win out ultimately. It does mm -hmm. in pretty much everything. Yeah. But, man, I got to tell you, mm -hmm. in a slasher horror film, it does not. <laughs> Especially when it's not even been set up. It's so ham-handed, hockneyed. It's just exposition BS, man. Well, the screenwriter at this point is you, halfway through. Jesus Christ, I gotta... Hang on. Deep pull. Uh -huh. <laughs> I gotta end this damn thing. <laughs> Jesse, I love you. Oh, that brings him out of Freddy's hustle. Honestly, probably what happened. Just got tired of it. They said this needs to be 90 minutes. You're right there at 89 minutes. What's worse? 
turning the back on the monster or having true love's embrace bring you out of the monster? This, because at least turning the back on your non on the monster means you're not acknowledging the fear that empowers him, which kind of feels a bit like Voldemort again. But going away from not but not by much. Like they both suck bad. <laughs> they both are really bad. I think I hate the one in part one a little bit more. Yeah, okay. Like that's the one part that just totally ruins that movie for me. Okay. Yeah, the rest of the movie is much better than this one is, and that's a bad ending. But, man, love. <clears throat> if Jesse was hardened and the structure between him and Lisa was fractured and there were things that Freddie made him do that showed a poor side of him to Lisa that, like, all of that then maybe plays out. But a pool party gone awry devolving into a failed seduction in the cabana with a climactic moment of I love you as you're about to meet your demise on the blades of the thing that has possessed your sort of boyfriend, who by the way is into Grady, is just a galactic failure. <laughs> galactic? Yeah. <laughs> Huge. Colossal. That's that's apt. So Jesse comes out of the husk Okay, and then we go back to reality again. Goes back to school and doesn't have to pay for the crimes of... He murdered two people. Yeah. And maybe the kids saw Freddy. Gets on the bus. Life goes on. Life goes on. You and, say tomato, I say tomato. Yeah. Life goes on in Springwood. I think I said Illinois earlier. It's Springwood, Ohio is where this film takes place. It's Haddonfield, Illinois. And it's Camp Crystal Lake, New Jersey. Gets on the bus. The bus is going too fast, like our opening scene. It's not Robert England this time. Oh, good. Time for an embrace. And then we get one final jump scare as Lisa's nondescript friend is has a Freddy Glove burst through her. And then we go into the desert again. I don't hate the ending, but it's an ending. Because the film has to end at some point. I think that's fair. I hate the ending. Do you like... Okay, let's... Because part one isn't great either. Yeah. They get in the Freddy car, and then Ronnie Blakely gets sucked through the window. Is this better than that one? Oh, no. I'm going to say yes. Okay. We're comparing. Night, like- night, yeah. We're, we're comparing. <laughs> I can't even come up with an, an analogy. at the. We're comparing the happening and the last airbender at this point. Right. Endings. Nightmare one's great. Yeah. That last three minutes of Nightmare on Elm Street original just totally doesn't work for me. The question that the uh, an ambiguous ending like this one offers should cause the audience to say, oh, what next? And I think the response that's appropriate to this is not what's next, but like, who cares or give me a break? And if that's what you're going to do in a movie where you can't kill the bad guy because that's the star of the film. Mm -hmm. There were any number of places where that could have happened because you know what's still in play, Jesse? The glove. Yep. And if we do nothing except watch Jesse go to school and then he sets his backpack on the ground to get out a book and inside the backpack is his glove, the glove is in his backpack and we fade out, better ending. Matt, you made in 50 minutes... You made a masterpiece out of this Save movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, okay. I appreciate that. But right, I mean, you oh, get yeah. the same thing. Like, oh, he's still there. 
work with the elements that you set up already. Mm-hmm. You just took them in crazy directions. Take them this way. There's a good movie there, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Jack Shoulder made another movie that I actually like, uh, Alone in the Dark. Have you seen this? Maybe. 1980. It's kind of a slasher, but it's a movie where <laughs> Donald Pleasance runs an insane asylum. Oh, yeah. And two of the crazies, uh, Martin Landau and Jack Palance, they break out and they start, they terrorize this like family because like the power in the town goes out and that's how they get out. Mm. That's pretty good. Actually, I haven't seen that. That's yeah, pretty good. I like Martin Landau. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite. Like actors. Jack Palance, too. Do you like Donald Pleasance? Yes. We'll save him for next week. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I learned while doing research, man, New Line was like, I know Freddy was a success, but it wasn't like endgame success. They kind of needed some hits in their bullpen to kind of keep moving. So $3 million budget, $30 million gross for this film. So <laughs> one of the films that actually helped save New Line and keep them prospering. So as much as we ragged on it and talked about all the swings and misses, people went to go see it. They wanted more Freddy. Sure. They didn't get a lot of Freddy in this one. No. Uh, okay, so what's your favorite uh, tasting note of Freddy's Revenge? The score is really good. Mm-hmm. I think that's one clear win in this movie. Who did it? You would know that. Christopher Young. And Christopher Young would go on to do the Hellraiser theme, which is also uh, really good. Yeah. Christopher Young also did the music for Spider-Man 3, which has a great score and has never, to this day, been released on vinyl, CD, any format whatsoever. Wow. And I don't know why. Interesting. Great composer. He's he's good. That's probably what I would say. Good choice. What about you? The opening. I, I, I like that dream hellish landscape with the bus on the precipice of teetering and freddy like that, that's, that's a cool nightmare i dig it mm-hmm. all right what's the oh my god we need to drink more or take a shot of the wellers to wash the 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 stench of that particular scene what is that for you that the canary scene or the the, the lovebird scene is pretty stupid <laughs> it's it's just so overwrought with nonsense mm-hmm. no <laughs> one would again don't do this in movie because it'll ruin every movie's the suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. No one would act that way to a rogue lovebird, right? Yeah, you're right. Get a broom and it's it's, it's over. So that's oh come on. And there's a lot of other choices too, but that's the one right now. You know Shane. Yeah, we had Shane on uh, the Rise of Skywalker episode. Yeah, which was insane. We had a fantastic theory about Jedi's. Yeah, I'll we never did. Forget it, man. He yeah, spit uh, the truth. I uh. I remember I watched, I showed this movie to my friends and Shane in particular was just like, oh my God, like that was really creepy. It's the baby dog sequence. Like who put these baby masks on these Rottweilers? Mm-hmm. Uh, but effective makes no sense. I'm glad it's in the movie. That's my oh my God moment. Is there a master distiller on Freddy's Revenge? You kind of just said it. Is it, is it the score? It's got to be. You, we might consider Robert England. Whatever part of this works is Freddy, <laughs> um, but it's it's the music. Mine's the score too because it didn't have the the actual uh, Freddy theme that was established in the last one. That boom 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 boom. He made a new theme, 
and I think it's good. Mm-hmm. It was good enough for me to include it in a college PSA film. Sure. He's definitely my, you know, Wes Craven was good to kind of not go immediately headfirst into a second one. New Line's obviously going for a cash grab with the script that isn't very well polished. Robert England is, you know, probably wanting a little bit more from this character that... He, almost in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> almost in the movie. So how are we going to rate and grade Freddy's Revenge, Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf? You want me to go first? Let me go first. Yeah. I think I want to surprise you. I'm going to go Well Plus, Call Minus, only because... This series, at points, gets an entire entirely worse than this, which mi- which might be shocking for you that it could get it, it could get as bad. But there's stuff to play with in this film. You yeah. you splayed it out very nicely and how to improve it. And between the score, I like Creepy Freddy. There's some elements that at play the dream dream imagery, but there's a lot of swings and misses. It's not my favorite in the series. By, by a mile it's also not my least favorite in the series by a mile so well plus stamp it seal it signed sealed delivered okay stevie wonder <laughs> boogie on reggae freddy okay rock gut pure rock gut terrible terrible movie um gosh i don't know we've got to be close to not with the shots we've got to be close to 100 episodes what we're, are we at we're getting there it has to be in the top 10 of worst films we've ever done on this show. That's fair. It's awful. <clears throat> um, I'd like to try and give it a little bit of nod. And there is quite a resurrection coming in number three for Freddy. That's a great film. Yeah. And maybe part of the reason that movie's so good is because this one's so bad. But oh, no, this is this movie is pure garbage. Mm-hmm. Trash. I hate it. Yeah. It's awful. You never have to watch it again. I, yeah. No, I won't. Excellent. Well, that like you're right. Like there, this franchise is so lucky that it didn't end with this one, and that the next one was so strong, and that people came out in droves to see it. And then that's where you want to talk about Freddy Mania kicks into high gear with that one. Yeah, it was the Dawkins song, right? Yep. Excellent. I loved it. I love this again. Very in depth conversation on Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Man, these slashers. I love it. I dig it. Yeah. We talking talking. Talking at links on these on these sequels. We got to some space that I didn't think we were going to get to. I'm sub- I, coming over here tonight. I said to myself, "You're really going to struggle to find something to talk about tonight." Because I usually have three or four points. I had nothing when I showed up tonight. That's why I love this show. We got there through conversation. It just naturally comes out. That's sure. what I've been telling the guests. Because when we have guests, everyone says like, "Hey, how did how did so and so do?" Or or the people says, "Jesse, like." I don't know if I'm going to have like a lot to say or contribute. I'm like, trust me. You will. Once you start talking, it doesn't stop. Right. Like if we don't look at this thing, three hours will go by. Could you imagine spending, and we could have spent three hours on this movie tonight. Well, we could, we could have gone like scene by scene oh, by scene. Yes. Maybe another time. Maybe. All right. Let's wrap this thing up with a nightcap. Good score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. I think, yeah, Hellraiser was two years after this. Yeah, I, I, I did Christopher Young. Mm-hmm. 
all right, it's spooky season, Halloween's within a, within a week, uh, and people, whether it's on Shudder or Netflix or HBO Max, which HBO Max maybe has the best selection of movies out there. I've been saying it for months. Yeah. Uh, people are looking for spooky movies to watch, uh, scary recommendations. So, Matt, my nightcap to you is let's throw out three recommendations for, for some peeps. I'm going to try not to talk about the ones I've spoken about before, but I have to mention this one, which has been spoken about before, and that's The Innocents. Mm -hmm. It's a period piece. It's a slow burn. It's very atmospheric. But what you're going to get in that movie is some fantastic performances. And if you want to be uncomfortable and scared, this movie delivers because one of the most unhealthy relationships in all of cinema is going to unfold before your eyes and you will never look at pigeons the same way again. Yeah. Especially hot off the tails. If you, if you've checked out the haunting of Bly Manor, Manor. that's the innocence turning to a certain degree. Don't like, no, no, I know, but don't don't watch the turn. Don't watch the turn. Watch the innocence, right? Watch the innocence. Deborah Kerr. Thank you. Gus Blaisdell for that film. It's a good one. Give me your, thank you. Matt, for showing me that film. Is that right? Was I the one that showed you that Sure was, song? yeah. Cool. My number three, uh, we talked about Argento a couple of weeks ago, but this is something he produced. I'm a huge fan of this thing. Uh, I'd love to see this thing remade. Demons and Demons 2. So essentially it's a demon, and they're like zombies, in a movie theater. As the events on the movie screen start becoming reality in the audience. Mm. And then Demons 2 is the same movie in an apartment complex. They talk about two places that once they're barricaded, there's no outs. And it's gory soundtracks, but there's like this like Motley Crue and Billy Idol, like uh, housing the soundtracks. They're just, the Italians know how to make it splatter and they do it so good. So both of those are going to be my number three. Watch them back to back. What years? 85 and I think 87. By Argento. Uh, no, he produced and it's Lombard, Lomberto Bava, who's Mario Bava's son. Interesting. Those films rock. Oh, I think they're both on Shudder, actually. You might have to sit down and watch that. Oh, I'd, I'd love that. It'd be awesome. Excellent. Give me another one. Uh, I don't want to take or steal any of your thunder here. Um, I'm going to go with something a little bit newer. That was done for a shoestring budget that's playing in a space that I think is developing pretty rapidly with some cool content. And that's the socially aware horror film. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with It Follows. Again, a very, not to be too punny here, Mm -hmm. a very pedestrian movie on purpose because the thing that's coming to get you is walking after you. Yeah. <clears throat> it makes a pretty interesting commentary on sexually transmitted diseases, demons, STDs, mm-hmm. and what that means. And there is a moment in that movie that is screenwriting gold. And that is as the person who is being stalked by this demon is nearing the reconciliation of her sins with that demon. They pass a corner filled with prostitutes and the possibilities that then exist there by moving this on to someone else yeah. are limitless. 
because it would never get back to you. She would just keep passing it on. It's she. The prostitutes would just keep passing it on to one John Whoever. after another. It would ne- And man, that is such a classic moral construct on the compass of, of screenwriting gold. I love it. We will be covering that movie at some point. And I think, Matt, you'd be shocked to know that the reception of that movie in the horror community isn't entirely amazing. Number two. Number two got. for me, uh, Stage Fright. Not Owl Stage Fright, but and this movie kind of came in. I think it's made by Magnet. Magnet's a cool little indie company. They did VHS and all those films. Uh, they made it this movie that stars Meatloaf and Mini Driver. And I kid you not, it is a slasher film musical with musical numbers in tow. And it's about these kids that go to a musical theater camp and let the killings begin. The movie rocks, and I, I haven't heard anybody talk about it. Wow, literally rocks. I like Meatloaf, and I'm not I'm not going to spoil anything, but like it's got the songs and the set pieces, and oh, it has the gore and the cool mask too. Totally forgot to mention that one. That's a little sneaky company that turns out really good content. Mm-hmm. That magnet is really good in that under five million dollar horror stuff. That's really really entertaining. Entertaining. Yeah. Number one, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, I've gone back and forth on this all day. Um, I hope I don't steal your Sir Jesse. No, good. I'm going to go with Cat People. Which one? Val Luton's. Okay. The original one. I don't know if the movie is superb all the way through, but it's funny, and what made me kind of decide on this serendipitously today is our discussion about the pool scene in this film. It sparked what I think is the best moment in that movie. Again, it's a bastardization of sex through the guise of a woman and how that plays out. And it's, it's worth a watch. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I don't know if you'll love it. I don't know if people that are out there will love it. They should love it. They should. It's, it's like 78 minutes. It's really short. Um, And they had a sequel to it, which is kind of forgettable, but it's, it's worth your time. I think I meant, did I steal yours? No, 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 no. We, we, we talked about it a, a few episodes ago. I think I mentioned, uh, I wrote like the best college exam paper on cat people. Yeah. I got to I got to I got to dig that thing out and, uh, and check that out. Number one for me, we talked about it recently this week. It's the town that dreaded sundown mm-hmm. 1976. Um, I recommend this to anyone who hasn't seen it because tonally it's, it's a bonkers movie. It's got like, Blood curdling narration, true crime narrate, because it's a real thing. This is a real thing that happened in Texarkana in the late forties, post World War II. Blood curdling narration, and the death scenes are pretty uncomfortable. The killer, the sack face wearing killer, is very memorable, and there's sparse moments of comedy due to the Keystone Cops, but it's all around a very fun ride a true crime slasher film that inspired a lot of a lot of things the 1976 original they remade it a few years ago it's not amazing check out the original i i i love telling people about that go check it out because no one's some people have seen it not a lot of people have honorable mention you want one i don't don't think i have one now wicker man the nicholas cage one no not the bees the original (laughs) okay yeah of course yeah Excellent. I want yours that's set in uh, in the 1700s that you mentioned earlier. 
We've crafted some nice stories on this in the last month, haven't we? I don't know. Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe we're in a creative headspace right now. Maybe that's why it work. It's working so well. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's uh, putting a cap on Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Coming up next week, wrapping up this cast, will be released on Halloween. Man, when's the last time Halloween's been on a Saturday? Yeah, I, I don't know, a long time. It's going to be a awesome. A decade ago. It's going to be awesome. So coming next week, Halloween 2, 1981. I can't wait to talk about this movie because, you know, Halloween's like my bread and butter, and we get to talk about a sequel that, takes place seconds after that one ends and there's some good stuff in it. There's some very questionable stuff and there's some stuff that's Jesus Christ, get out of there. Terrible. Um, I can't wait to talk about all of it. Donald Pleasance. I shot him six times. <laughs> there's the audio is going to be so good on, on that, but that, yeah, that's coming. That's coming next week. And then spooky season's done and we're going to get into some other stuff. We'll get that. We've been talking about on the horizon. That's, Something gonna, brand new. It's going to be it, new, but classic. Yes. Excellent. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Uh, I don't think we could sell the the Thompson and now the Walsh house on Elm Street, so we might have to, I, th- I think we're going to have to find a new trade to, to get involved with, and maybe Haddonfield has some openings in the paramedic department. What do you think? Indeed. Already put my uh, application in so hopefully that'll pan out excellent we'll see how that goes we'll see you all next week everybody have a good week we'll see you in the dark thank you for listening to rye smile films be sure to subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify podbean stitcher tune in wherever you get your podcasts and if you like what you're hearing be sure to leave us a five-star review we'd greatly appreciate it a nightmare on elm street 2 Freddy's Revenge is property of New Line Cinema, Heron Communications, and Smart Egg Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. It's okay. It's alright. Jesse, it's okay. It's all over. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,